They say that those who forget their history are condemned to repeat it. This is the History Lessons Podcast with certified financial planning practitioner Patrick Huey, author of History Lessons for the Modern Investor and your guide to financial wisdom in the past, present, and future. You ready? Good. Let's get historical. Historical, indeed. It's the History Lessons for the Modern Investor podcast. We're hashtagging it. HL, the number 4-T-M-I. If you're a modern investor seeking some historical perspective in today's crazy world, friends, welcome back because you're in the right place. This week, we'll be talking about Mia Culpas and Moon Rockets. But first, the news. Yeah, the news. Uh, industrial production rose 1% uh, while besting uh, consensus expectations for July. That was the largest monthly gain since January. Now, some of that surge was probably driven by sectors like utilities and mining. So it's still questionable how much stuff is in demand these days. But this definitely bears watching. And it's not the only data point that shows signs of resiliency. Housing starts. Well, they increased 3.9% in July. Maybe, just maybe, the sticker shock of higher mortgage rates is already wearing off and we're seeing home building gradually recover. Stay tuned. Regardless, as I've said in the past, this isn't a housing bust, nor is the sector going to be a tailwind to the economy as it was during some previous cycles. Consumer spending surprised to the upside in July with retail sales up 0.7% for the month and sales were revised higher for prior months as well. Instead of an economic contraction, read recession, which we all expected, the economy is reaccelerating slightly. The Atlanta Fed's GDP Now model estimates the U.S. economy will grow at a 5.8% seasonally adjusted annual rate before inflation, which would be the fifth consecutive quarter of at or above trend growth. Getting to the point in 2023 where a recession this year looks less and less likely, and some of us may have to admit that we were wrong at least for now. Next up, we'll charge the Wayback Machine and head back in time for this week's history lesson. But first, this word. Interest rates are rising, and your annuity purchased in the last decade might not be keeping up, which means your financial plan may be falling behind. So if you own a deferred annuity, fixed, indexed, or variable worth more than $250,000, now is the time to review it and make sure it is doing all that it can for you and your financial plan. Let us help you keep your retirement on track. Introducing Victory Independent Planning. VIP turns complex financial matters into clear and confident solutions, so you can relax and enjoy retirement whenever it arrives. Get the Annuity Review Kit now. This complimentary kit includes a variety of checklists, resources, and ebooks to review the fees, features, and flexibility, or lack thereof, in your current annuity contract. It will even help you assess your overall investment goals and the people who are offering you advice. Get the kit today, because you can't teach an old annuity new tricks. To learn how VIP can help you review your annuity, 
click on the link in the show notes or go to victoryindependentplanning.com slash annuity dash review. That's victoryindependentplanning.com slash annuity dash review. Sign up for peace of mind today. Hey, Alexa, charge the Wayback Machine and set it for the year 1835 AD. Charging Wayback Machine. On August 25th, 1835, the New York Sun publishes several articles reprinted from the Edinburgh Journal of Science. Now, the articles claim that the famous astronomer Sir John Herschel's powerful telescope has discovered evidence, and lots of it, of life on the moon. The article describes strange creatures such as unicorns, rushing rivers, and lush vegetation. They even have a society on the moon complete with temples, roads, and most interestingly, their own currency, moon coins. Moon coin part was particularly intriguing as readers were informed that these moon coins could be purchased at an absurdly high cost and would soon become the hottest investment opportunity this side of the Atlantic. Ah, the lost art of appreciating satire led to the fantastical stories becoming widely believed. Now, how unicorns on the moon are either believable or good satire still escapes the 21st century mind, but it was a different time then. What's truly amazing was how the public reacted to being so duped. That is, they didn't. Didn't react at all. Sales of the paper never faltered, and the sun continued in circulation for another century. No outrage, no protests, and no lawsuits. To us, the 19th century America, that may as well have been another planet. Now, I was reminded of this story this weekend as news arrived of Russia's failed attempt attempt to explore the lunar surface with hopes of finding water and minerals that could support a future human colony. While we don't appear ready to discover furry moon men or their exotic moon coins, we've certainly encountered a similar level of lunacy in the financial world and with its journalistic enablers. Here are three lessons for the modern terrestrial investor. Number one, let's talk about moon stocks. These are the companies that for one reason or another have their stock prices shoot to the stratosphere seemingly without rhyme or reason. Financial journalists often employ phrases like to the moon, rocketing to new heights, and stellar gains. And much like the 1835 moon coin craze, these articles spark excitement, most importantly, FOMO, fear of missing out among investors. Underlying message is clear. Buy now or risk missing out on the next big thing, just like those who didn't invest in those moon coins back in 1835. Except when you point out the speculative nature of such investments now, there definitely is some outrage, at least on the message boards. Number two, the unholy trinity. Back in 1835, the New York Sun was limited by the reach of its printed pages. Today's financial journalists wield the power of the internet, social media, and the 24-hour news cycle, aka the unholy trinity of wealth destruction. Information is just plain easier to come by these days, and that's usually a good thing. But let's not forget the fundamental lesson of the 1835 moon hoax. That is, the importance of critical thinking and a healthy dose of skepticism. Number three, Russian rockets. 
While our fascination with tales of instant wealth is as strong as ever, it's vital to remember that not every rocket ship reaches its intended destination. Just ask the Russians. In a world where memes become financial advice and influencers become financial advisors, it's crucial to distinguish between a true discovery and a lunar fable. Listen, these days when even a simple tweet from a celebrity can send a cryptocurrency skyrocketing faster than a Saturn V, the line between financial journalism and speculative fiction has been blurred, probably irrevocably. Keep that in mind for your next race to the moon. Wayback Machine disengaged, returning to the year 2023. And finally this week, it's on to the mailbag. You've got mail. This message came in to me from a client in an email this week, and he wrote, Hey, have you seen this article? Should I be worried? And should I do anything differently? Thanks. Well, the article in question is from CNN.com. Ah, CNN, birthplace of 24-hour news and founding member of the unholy trinity of wealth destruction. And the article is titled, Michael Burry of Big Short Fame Just Bet $1.6 Billion on a Stock Market Crash. Quoting here, Burry was famous for placing a wager against the housing market and profited handsomely from the subprime lending crisis and the collapse of numerous major financial entities in 2008. The event was chronicled by Michael Lewis in his bestseller, The Big Short, Inside the Doomsday Machine, and later adopted into a film where Burry was played by Christian Bale. The uh, Christian Bale name drop is a nice touch, and we'll, we'll come back to that later. But Burry is now buying puts against the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ 100 with about 80% of his hedge funds portfolio. All of this according to regulatory filings. The author then goes on to say that Burry's bearish forecasts often get way more attention than his long or optimistic bets, and that his hedge fund has had an impressive return over the last three years. Okay, let's make a few points. First, why only mention the last three years of performance? Wouldn't it be a cleaner story arc to include 2008 onward? I mean, this dude had a movie made after him. Why is he even still working? Second, we don't actually know that he is betting on a stock market crash. The author didn't interview him. She merely assumed that from his positioning of the fund. Now, he may be positioning for a soft period. August through October traditionally are the least attractive months for stocks, but not necessarily a full-on crash. The word crash is clickbait, pure and simple. Indeed, the article mentions betting against a market downturn but the editors bumped it up to a crash for the headline. He may be forecasting one, but putting those words in his mouth for a headline? Well, that's just 21st century journalism at work. Third, should the average investor care what Michael Burry says? Well, he was right about 2008, wasn't he? Yeah, fair enough. But so was Meredith Whitney, who called it while at Oppenheimer and then predicted significant municipal bond defaults totaling, quoting here, hundreds of billions of dollars, end quote, in 2010. Remember that debacle in 2010? The one with all the municipal bond defaults? No? It's because it didn't happen. Now, I'm not picking on Meredith or Michael Burry. The cold hard fact is that prognostication is difficult. And if you get one big call right, people think you have some special ability. 
But the law of averages rules all of us. Even Michael Burry, who was calling for folks to sell in late spring. And I'll give him credit. He at least admitted to being wrong about that one. All right, lastly, I'd like to just summarize a few of the behavioral biases evident in just this one article, okay? Start with the hot hand fallacy. Just because someone does something once, twice, or 100 times in a row doesn't change the odds of it happening again. Mentioning Christian Bale, that was a nice turn of film slash television personality bias, giving credence to an argument because someone famous is associated with it. And finally, there's recency bias. Assuming that the last three years of performance at Burry's Fund are representative of the whole. So those of you out there looking for biased journalism, here you have it. Let's answer the original questions. Should I be worried and should I do anything different, differently? I can't tell you how to feel. But I'll tell you personally that if I got worried every time an article came out warning, warning about the market crashing, cratering, or collapsing, I'd have been locked away a long time ago. As for doing something different, that's an individual choice, a tactical one. Each investor, based on their individual factors, you know, time horizon, risk tolerance, all that boring stuff that I've used to get people into retirement for almost two decades while Michael Burry's still working. Well, my fellow historians, that's it for this week. Check out my book, History Lessons for the Modern Investor, that's available on Amazon.com, and it's got all those juicy behavioral biases and more. And then be sure to do all the social stuff, the liking, sharing, following, all those things. We're available on Substack, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much wherever you get your pods. You can follow us there. Keep sending me messages for the mailbags. I'd love to read them, and I'd love to read yours on the air. Until next week, we'll take another rollicking romp through the past and make an investment in your financial future with history lessons for the modern investor. See you next week.